Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me for another great conversation about talent development. Today, we're talking a lot more about leadership development and how to develop our leaders, especially in this post-COVID world, and how to become better leaders. So this is one that you can share, not just with your colleagues in talent development, but with your friends and colleagues who are leaders or trying to become better leaders. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And my guest today is Rob Kerr. Rob has over 20 years of experience in leadership consulting and coaching inside organizations and across multiple industries, including pharmaceuticals, financial services, B2B marketing, oil and gas, high-tech, and manufacturing. He has led talent management and organizational development teams in North America and globally. And having lived and worked in several other countries, Rob brings a broad perspective to his clients looking for help with leaders of all levels, particularly with high potentials and executive leaders. He is currently the senior managing consultant with Via Group, a consulting firm that works with organizations of all sizes to connect people strategy with business strategy and accelerate the success of both. Rob earned his PhD in organizational development from Benedictine University and has written articles for and has spoken at National Academy of Management conferences in the areas of global mindset change and organizational development. He's done a lot of work in the OD space, and I'm happy to have him on the podcast today. And in our conversation, we talked a lot about leadership. How do you become a better leader? How do you help your people become better leaders in the environment that we're in now, coming out of the pandemic with some people returning to the office, many people still working from home? How do you build that rapport? How do you build that connection? How do you build that trust? 
as a leader to really get things done? And how do we reskill the workforce to focus on some of the more social or power skills that we have found are more important when we work in this virtual world and not less? Uh, we also talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion. We talk about agile or agility, which is kind of a buzzword in the talent development world now. And we talk about trust and how do we restore or build more trust as leaders in the workplace. So great conversation, a lot of great value in here. I hope that you have your notepad ready as usual. And I want to remind you before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank Membership Community, which is the number one place to go to connect, learn, share, and grow in the talent development world. We have a lot of great speakers coming in on a regular basis and a lot of great open conversations with your colleagues in talent development. We have calls on a weekly basis and I absolutely love it. Our members love it, uh, love being in there, and I know you will too once you join. Our website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. This podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage Performance Group is the number one place to go when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your people to do the best work of their lives. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps organizations develop great people, and you can find out more by going to the Advantage website, advantageperformance.com. All right. Without further ado, here is my interview with Rob Kerr, all about leadership in the post-COVID world. Enjoy. All right. I am joined now by Rob Kerr, who is Senior Managing Consultant with Via Group. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with you, Andy. Yeah, great to have you here. Excited and interested to dig in to our topic today, You know, really talking about leadership and especially uh, how can we deal with this kind of post-COVID world, I think, that we're, we're digging into? Um, before we get to that, uh, maybe we can start by telling us a little bit about what you and VIA do. Yeah, so VIA, I'm a senior managing consultant for VIA Group, and we do, uh, we do a lot of work with employees and employee development, especially at the top of the house with leaders and executives, you know, trying to really help them find what their secret sauce is for success, right? So a lot of that is through assessment, you know, or coaching, uh, or, you know, work with groups uh, and, and developing high potentials and those kinds of things. So largely, it's it sort of all boils down to how to make leaders get better at who they are. Yeah, absolutely. And leadership has always been a hot topic for decades, right? If not forever. And yeah. uh, in the corporate world, certainly for many years, I think it has come up more and more than ever over the last year and a half, you know, since we entered the pandemic and many people were working remotely and leadership became more challenging, right? We had a new angle to it and the world of work really changed. What have you noticed in that time that has been changing? And, you know, what are some of the biggest pain points been? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I actually just had this conversation a couple of days ago with a leader that I was, I was meeting with. We were reviewing some of her, her results and she said, you know, what, what makes leaders great through the pandemic is it really just boils down to uh, we see leaders sort of on the personal side uh, being able to reconnect more effectively. And, and I think where the pandemic has taken so many leaders is, gosh, I can't connect with people person to person. I can't walk down the hall and have a conversation with them. So how do I, how do I replicate that virtually? And the good leaders, I mean, I've seen a lot of great leaders out there do that better than the walk down the hall. You know, mm -hmm. so I think sometimes 
be able to hop on video or being able to just stay in touch, uh, you know, from much farther away without having to hop on a plane gives them opportunities they didn't have before. So I think taking full advantage of those has been, uh, you know, something that the great organizations have done really well. And I would say the second thing is, uh, you know, they've been really opportunistic. So, uh, you know, I talked to a leader in an organization a couple of weeks ago during the pandemic, rather than sort of, you know, retreating from the competitive competition, they stepped into it and said, what can we do on our product side? This was actually a door-to-door business, door-to-door kind of sales, direct mm-hmm. sales. And they created new software to be able to do more remote diagnosis, remote pricing. Uh, and it's just stuff that is pretty basic, but they just hadn't been doing that at all. And so they said, let's, let's lean in, let's invest a little bit, take some risks. It's what we do best. Uh, and so I think we see that kind of entrepreneurial spirit really, you know, coming to the fore I and mean, really being played up much more. Yeah. So I'd say those two things really been pretty significant during the pandemic and, and coming out of it. You mentioned that some of the best leaders are taking advantage of this opportunity and maybe they weren't even that good at the quote unquote walking the halls type leadership, but they are excelling at leadership through the virtual world. Can you talk a little bit more about what they're doing? Some of the best practices that we can share with other leaders out there? Yeah. I mean, it's always hard because, you know, what makes, what makes you a great leader is probably different from what makes somebody else Mm -hmm. a great leader. But what I've noticed across the board is the really great ones have been better at showing a little bit more vulnerability than they may have in the past. You know, what I mean by that is, you know, people are, they're suffering from fatigue. I mean, if nothing more than, you know, I mean, there are people who certainly, you know, either suffer from health challenges or know people around them and have had health challenges during the COVID. But I, I think for, for the masses, it's about, you know, really understanding more about how we as humans can connect better. So if I'm a leader, it's like, hey, you know, here's some challenges I'm going through. Hey, maybe my kid sneaks in and photo bombs me on my, uh, on my virtual call. Yeah. That's great, right? Uh, and rather than kind of shooing them out of the room, you know, I have a chance to bring them over. Hey, this is, you know, this is my son. Hey, this is my daughter. Hey, you know, they're doing their work. You know, they're doing their homework today and I'm trying to help them while I'm doing this call. But, you know, I'll get, I'll get back to you soon. And, you know, but showing a little bit of that humanity yeah. is possible or, you know, as we've all been sent kind of quarantined, it's, you know, how, how do they make the most of that? Or, you know, in some organizations, they've had to furlough workers. I, I know in some organizations, the people at the top have reduced their pay or have said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work this way. And it, 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 it changes the nature of who they are to the masses. I mean, it makes people feel like they are human. They're going through what we're going through. Yeah. Just that sense of, you know, empathy a little bit. Right. So that showing that humanity, empathy, vulnerability, authenticity, all of those things being really important concern and communication for others and just opening up about what you're going through as well. I heard that a lot through the pandemic from my colleagues in talent development. We'd have discussions in the community that I run about how leaders were showing more of that human side and you see the kids running in. And it's like, oh, they deal with that stuff too, right? It's not just me. My challenge has been, you know, my kids often come in while I'm in the middle of a a Zoom meeting with somebody and it's cute for like the first minute. And then when they try to take over, I'm like, uh, (laughs) I think it's time for you to leave now. (laughs) But but, but the point is like, yeah, the the humanity, the connection, because I think uh, there's been a tendency in the past in the old, quote, command and control way of leadership to keep work and personal life separate, pretend that you have it all figured out. 
and that, you know, you are the boss. That means you know everything. And I think that's changed a lot. I don't think we want that from our leaders. We want the humanity, the vulnerability and people that we feel like we can trust rather than they have it all figured out. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, you, you touched on something there that I think is at the heart of it, which is trust, right? So why be vulnerable? Well, it's nice to be nice. It's nice to be vulnerable. It's nice to show that you're human, but, but why, you know, and I think a big part of that is we want people to trust us more and, you know, we want them to feel like, you know, they're part of an organization where they have a sense of, of purpose and where they're valued and where they feel like they're important to leadership. Uh, so I think, I think, instilling trust begins with me, not with you, right? I have to be willing to say, hey, Andy, you know, here's who I am. Here's kind of my, you know, I'm just laying it out there. Here's here's what makes me tick. And here's some things that you probably will like and some things you probably won't like. Yep. But if I go first in that conversation, it sets you up to be more open and more trusting of me, I think. Oh, absolutely. If you ask the question first and I'm like, well, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know if he can trust me. Maybe I won't say that much uh, until right. I hear your story. And I'm like, oh, well, I feel comfortable opening up about these problems or challenges I'm dealing with as well. Uh, speaking of challenges, you know, it's been well over a year. A lot of people have figured out how to work from home effectively. Some people really like it and don't want to go back. Some people hate it and can't wait to get back into the office. Uh, I found people are all over the place, different parts of the spectrum. Many companies have brought people back into the office already. Some had started to in phases and many have still put it off because of concerns about the Delta variant and uncertainty that's going on in the marketplace. What have you noticed about companies that have done this well and how do we adapt to this new world of kind of uncertainty of like, oh, we're in the office, but some people don't want to be there and some people do. Like, how, how do we deal with all this? Well, yeah, I think it's the good news. Well, the bad news is, uh, you know, when, when people say, you know, what's the best practice, nobody really knows. Right. Right. Last time I went through a pandemic, I can't really say that. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like, uh, you know, what I'm doing is trying to figure it out. And so I, I think what is working well is organizations are trying to do the best they can to accommodate the needs of individuals and meet them kind of where they are. So if you prefer to work in the office, great. Well, let's find an opportunity for you to do that in a way that's safe, a way that makes you feel uh, that coming into the office will have benefits for you and for others without putting anybody at risk. If on the other hand, you know, you're somebody who wants to work from home, we're going to be there to make sure that your environment is set up such that you're, you have great connectivity, you have the things you need. Maybe I'll give you a little budget for office supplies and let you just manage yourself and manage that, you know, that little piece of, of you know, uh, money that you would get by being in the office. I think where it is less successful, and I, I was uh, meeting with somebody this week, uh, and they said, yeah, we're coming back into the office. And this was in a, in a government uh, setting. And she said, you know, I, I told people we're, we're going back into the office on this date. And she was getting some pushback from a couple of leaders. And she said, I, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, we're going back into the office on this date, period. That's it. No negotiation. And uh, I think that approach is just you know, doomed to failure, doomed yeah. to failure. Lacks empathy. You know, so there are people who have learned well to be flexible, make some adjustments uh, and meet people where they are. And I think if you, I mean, even if it means going into the office, but doing some remote meetings while you're there, so what? It, it's, uh, I think in some organizations, it makes really good sense. There are lots of essential businesses out there who keep our lights on and who need to be in the office. And uh, for them, 
it's just a matter of making sure that it's right, that's safe, it's the right time. Yeah. And if people are not comfortable, do all you can to help them feel more comfortable and recognize at the same time that if they're not comfortable, maybe I'm not either, but but we'll, yeah. we'll step into this together, you know? Yeah, and you may want people to be back in the office, but let's start with having a conversation and understanding where people are coming from and try to figure out a solution. Because I've seen what you mentioned happen. Like we had a discussion about this uh, in the membership community I run called the Talent Development Think Tank. We had a, a call talking about, we had, we've had a couple different uh, calls where we discussed, you know, kind of return to work and what's going on. And, and one of our members shared that, hey, I'd send an email out to everybody saying, here's the plan, we're returning. We want you back, you know, four days a week, starting on this date in October or whatever it was. And the response they got back from their workforce was basically, no, like we're <laughs> not going to do that. I don't want to come back to the office. I'm not ready yet. And, and they, they ended up changing their policy and right. uh, not going forward with it because, you know, not only do you have people saying, I don't want to go, but we're in a situation right now where companies have less leverage than they've had in the past because there's more opportunity out there than ever. So if your company says, you need to come back and you don't want to, you can go, you know, fix up your LinkedIn profile and go start looking for another job, right? Because there's plenty of other companies who will let you work from home. Well, yeah. And I think we're seeing how, how fearful organizations are now that they recognize, you know, with the great resignation, people have some choices out there and so many demands for talent. Uh, and, you know, that's that war for talent kind of, you know, rises and falls over the years and over the decades. But here we're in a war for talent. And I think it's difficult to be able to sit, you know, to tell your employees, this is the way, my way or the highway, uh, without saying, hey, we asked you, you know, we, we sought some input. Uh, we, made, you know, we made some choices based on your input, something like that to just indicate, we wanna know uh, what, what you're thinking. Uh, even if it means you're still gonna ultimately put the policy in place, yeah. fine, but, but at least signal to your employees that we we give a thought about who you are and what matters to you and, and how to shape our policies uh, with input uh, so they have more meaning and more connection. Yeah, we care about you. We hear your concerns and we disagree, but we at least we listen to them, right? And 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 have that conversation. We, we've talked about the importance of empathy and you know that leads to, of course, uh, emotional intelligence being really important for leaders these days more than ever, EQ, if you will. How do we reskill the workforce to focus on social, emotional, you know, some of these new things that we, we hear about a lot, even cognitive skills that, you know, maybe we weren't focusing on as much before? Well, I think it's, it's partly the language that we have, you know, that we share with each other. So there's a, a need to, I think, have some common ground. You know, I mean, even just talking about things like emotional intelligence or emotional quotient or, or some of those things. Uh, I think we have, there are pretty, pretty big, broad terms out there that we don't really define all that well. As me, the leader, you know, a couple months back, I was coaching and he said, hey, Rob, Rob, you know, I'm the most, I'm the most self-aware guy there is, right? And he was probably actually the least self-aware guy I've ever met. Uh, but he said, he said, you know, I, I know who I am and I know, you know, what I do well and I know that I can connect with people. And I said, yeah, that, that may be good for you, but how is that good for me? You being self-aware doesn't help me at all. Mm. It just helps you feel like you're more you know, superior because you're self-aware. <laughs> but what I need from you is to be able to adjust a little bit to me. Yeah. Right? I need you to be able to listen or, or maybe go outside your comfort zone a little bit more. And that's, that's, I think, it's understanding that these terms are often just kind of thrown around. We don't really think about the implications of all that, all that much. You know, I, I talk to leaders all the time who say, you know, I, 
I have kind of an open door policy. You know, I learned during the pandemic, or I learned in coming back in a hybrid mode that I have to be more open and, you know, forthright. And so I'm going to have this open door policy. Well, we've had open door policies for decades, right? Yeah. But he, they'll say, my door is always open. But you wouldn't be so passive about results, right? You wouldn't say, hey, if you're not getting the result you need, my door is open. Mm-hmm. And you say, if you're not getting the result you need, I'm going to proactively go speak to you intervene, ask you some questions and try and help and problem solve together. So on the other side, on the more emotional or maybe personal side, the softer set of skills that we sometimes talk about are leaders being as proactive there to go out and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, I've noticed, you know, results were a little bit soft or things haven't been going as well as they could have been, you know, have been in the past. You know, what are you experiencing? What are you going through? How's that, how's that working? And so I think it's, it's not just being open or being available. Mm-hmm. It's being much more proactive on those people issues, maybe than they have been in the past. Yeah. And you were talking about self-awareness, which I think is really, really important. I think a lot of leaders are lacking in self-awareness. And I do think it can be really helpful in helping your people and leading your people be, as long as you're using it to benefit those around you. So for example, I might gain more self-awareness that I tend to talk too much in meetings So now I'm going to catch myself every time I'm thinking out loud or cutting off a colleague or, you know, contributing to unconscious bias, favoring one person over another for one reason or another. And now I'm, oh, I, oh, I was about to do that again. I'm going to stop and, you know, listen to the advice I've gotten, the feedback, whatever it may be, and make this change and, and go to this other person first before I, I speak or direct the conversation elsewhere. So I think that, you know, the self-awareness can be really beneficial if we are learning more about how we interact with others, how it impacts other people, and then using feedback to become a better leader. I think so. And sometimes that feedback can be, you know, somebody we trust in the, in the work environment, maybe somebody that we've, we've grown up with in our organization who can just kind of gently pull on our sleeve once in a while and say, hey, hey, Andy, you know, you kind of did this thing and it kind of came across the wrong way. You know, you might have been saying this, but but the intent just seemed to be a little bit confused. It didn't seem like it came from a place of sincerity, or it seemed like you were trying to force the issue too much. So sometimes those, uh, you know, the trusted advisors around us can really help us if we're not, you know, because if we're not as self-aware, if we're not able to catch ourselves and, you know, push ourselves away and go catch our breath or, you know, count to 10, uh, we can rely on some other people around us to help us do that. Yeah. It's not about being perfect, right? It's being aware and then learning from mistakes. I mean, I make mistakes all the time and then I'm like, why did I do that? Okay. Do I want to do that again next time? Well, you know, why did that person interact with me that way? Maybe it was something that I did or something I said, perhaps I can make an adjustment next time. And, and, you know, we can always be adjusting and, and fixing and, and improving for the future. And with the, with the remember, you know, reminder that we're going to be ourselves, of course, I, I mentioned unconscious bias. I know Baya does some work in this space. What does workplace diversity look like in this new normal, right? Like things have changed a lot and we've heard about diversity and inclusion a ton uh, over the last year, especially since the the rise of the social justice movement in May of 2020. So what does that look like now? Well, yeah. So, I mean, we do a a little bit of work here in this space with uh, diversity and inclusiveness, and particularly as we look at, uh, you know, C-suite teams and and working with leaders to uh, infuse more I would say diversity of thought, right? I mean, the goal is to be as diverse as those communities that we're trying to represent, right? They're those communities where we're interacting. And I think diversity is about, first of all, um, looking outside of ourselves 
a little bit more, you know, not just not just finding common ground with people who are the same as us, uh, but able to go a little bit beyond that, you know, a concentric circle or two beyond our core and say, how can we how can we pull in other views uh, that will help us uh, rethink who we are as an organization, rethink our set of products or rethink our set of solutions uh, to have greater uh, resonancy, you know, in those communities where we live. Uh, and with leaders, I think it, it all boils down to, are you, are you able to attract people to your organization or are you repelling them from your organization? What is it about your organization that attracts or detracts uh, talent? And there are lots of things that are out there. Uh, sometimes, you know, people have a very, you know, traditional or fixed mindset uh, about, uh, about the world out there. And it should be a certain way. I think rather than allowing themselves to be a little bit more open to, you know, influence, open to other views, open mm -hmm. to seeing the world through a different lens. Uh, and I think for leaders, that's really the starting point. You know, it's, for me, it's much more about what happens in your own mind and, you know, how you want to reach out as opposed to, you know, doing that through policies, although policies, you know, will force the action. I think it's better if the leader kind of comes to it and looks for it. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yep, and it starts with being more open-minded. I think self-awareness, we talked about earlier, becomes really important here. Being more open-minded, getting feedback, having conversations, asking people for their thoughts and opinions, and and just reminding yourself, being, you know, thinking all the time, am I being inclusive? Am I including everybody in this? Does everybody have, you know, is there equity here? Uh, that sort of thing. And so I think we're seeing a lot of progress there, a lot of that changing, and it's cool to hear that you're seeing that as well. I know another area where you do work is on creating more agile workplaces. And this term agile is, I feel like it's a buzzword that I hear a lot in the working world, especially the talent development world now. What does that mean? And how do we build more agile and less fragile workplaces? <laughs> yeah, agility, right? It is the it is the buzzword of the day, uh, and i I think for I think for most organizations, it's if they could be more agile, they would be able to pivot uh, in the midst of some of these challenges that we're we're facing right now much more effectively. I think for leaders, agility boils down to: uh, Am I able to take the set of skills and knowledge that I've got, and just you know wait? A little bit. There was a lesson that I learned when I, I was doing a lot of work in Japan back in, you know, a few years back. I, I did an expat assignment over there, and we used to get visitors coming over from the the U.S. and they would say, "Hey, Rob, you've been here for a while. I've been here a few years. You know, how can I do better uh, in this culture?" And I said, "Well, just just resist the urge to add value. Resist the urge to do too much." Uh, you know, Marshall Goldsmith's written a lot of books on on leadership, and one of the things that he he pinpoints is managers who try to do too much, you know, add too much value, say something about everything, weigh in on everything. 
I say sometimes just wait, you know, wait and, and listen and hold back. Uh, and in that process of holding back and waiting and being patient, the answers that you have in your head that you're ready to give can become more contextualized, right? So with agility, you know, let the conversation swirl a little bit uh, and don't jump in. Don't try and cut that off. Let it, let it be, let that whirlpool seethe a little bit longer. Mm. Uh, in fact, there's an executive that I, I was doing some work with and he used to have the habit of, he'd, he'd come into his team meeting, his C-suite meeting, and he would say, okay, here's what we're gonna be talking about today. It's this topic, ready, go. And he would leave the room <laughs> for an hour or two. And they would come back into the room after an hour or two, just so they could have time to talk and debate and process. And then he would catch up to the rest of the team because he's already been dealing with the topic for a while. But that the agility came from his ability to let them wrestle it to the ground a little bit, let mm. them kind of struggle with it, uh, and then sort of weigh in. Uh, so being a little bit more patient, letting things take shape around us a little bit more, um, and then being, being able to move more quickly and speedily uh, to a solution rather than taking the same old path. Yeah. I've run a lot of leadership development workshops as well. And I've been saying for a while now, I think the biggest challenge or maybe mistake for leaders today is that they feel like they need to be the smartest person in the room and they always have to have the answer and give the advice when really they're probably surrounded by people who have answers and they could just be like doing what you said, pick the topic and then let everybody else discuss. And then once they hear the, the suggestions, make the decision and go. And that could be a lot faster and also a lot more inclusive, right? Because everyone feels like they've been involved. Well, the other thing too is, you know, I think some leaders just have their favorite ways of working and, they, and it's hard for them to adjust. So mm. I was speaking with someone last week in, in a coaching session and I, this person had taken on like a whole new division and was trying to run basically two divisions of this large organization. And I said, well, what have you cut out in order to take on this new responsibility? Nothing. You know, I'm working from 5 a.m. to you know, 10 o'clock at night, uh, you know, seven days a week. And I said, well, how long is that gonna be sustainable? Well, it's not, I recognize that it's not. I said, well, what are you doing to hand off or give away some of that work so that you can be more agile, so that your organization can be more agile? It's not just about her, mm -hmm. it's about the organization. The organization is less agile because she's less agile. Yeah. Uh, and so, so she's kind of taking a second look at that and saying, you know, rather than me just working hard, I need to be able to significantly rethink the way that I do my business. I, that means I need to cut out some of the procedures. I need to change my approval process. I need to change my decision-making process. So that rather than three steps, it takes two. Rather than five people, it's two. Rather than you know three days, it's two hours, mm. uh, and I think I think it just causes leaders to have to rethink what they believe is best practice, and they have to adjust. Yeah, with the demand. I I believe that, and it's about making those adjustments, right? And it comes back to the self awareness. You mentioned that you spent some time working in Japan. Uh, with organizations and with Americans coming over. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I've been to Japan a couple of times and I'm fascinated by the culture there, which is vastly different from ours in the United States. I'm wondering, do you have an example of a leader coming over, an American coming in and just trying to add value and just completely backfiring on them? Sure. Yeah. So many. <laughs> oh, where do I start, Andy? <laughs> yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you one, uh, because it does kind of tie in with what we're talking about today. Um, mm. There was a 
a really great leader. Uh, this was in a, in a pharmaceutical organization years ago. Uh, he came in very strong operationally, uh, great leader, truly one of the best uh, we had in the States. Went over to Japan and uh, <laughs> he said, uh, you know, when I, when I got to Japan, he'd already been there a couple of years. And I said, oh, you know, we should have a meeting and you know, it'd be nice to get, to get to meet you a little bit over here. And I, I went to find him and I, I went to his floor and in Japan, typically, you know, it's just a sea of desks, right? There aren't really cubicles. Typically it's just like open mm. office environment. And then the head of the department or the head of the division sits at the row, you know, top of a row of desks. Uh, when I went over to his floor, there was one cubicle. There were all these desks, and there was one cubicle with some walls around it, and he was sitting behind it. Hmm. And, I, and I, when I said, "How come you're? What are you doing? How come this is a cube?" And he and he had a coffee machine sitting on his desk. I said, "Well, you're the only person that has a coffee machine in a cubicle on this floor. It seems kind of odd. Why is that?" He said, well, "Because I wanted a coffee machine." I said, "Well, yeah, but." but this seems like counterculture. It seems like it's not, you know, <laughs> and, and he and I had this long conversation about all the, all the effort that he went through to get this coffee machine and to get the walls of his cubicle. Yeah. And it was just what we were talking about earlier. And he, he, he had in his mind that being a leader meant doing this, this way, being my, you know, having certain autonomy or certain independence, uh, having, having things the having way coffee. that I want right having the coffee at my disposal at my desk you know rather than thinking gosh i wonder what other people would think of me i wonder how right. that might come across to others and in, Jap in japanese society it's so much about the collective mm. that if you're not part of that collective you're you're not really part of anything you're sort of on you know you're the lone wolf you're the person hanging out there doing your own thing mm. and it plays out that other people in that environment started using their informal networks to influence him. They went around him more often than going to him or through him. Mm. Uh, and it, it was just as simple as that stupid little coffee machine and his cubicle walls that made him impenetrable. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. a, <laughs> it was sort of a metaphor for the way that he, he uh, led his leadership life over there. It, was, it, it was separated him from his employees, both physically and metaphorically, right? They're, they're like, okay, yeah. you're, in a, you're on this silo over here. Uh, that's interesting. Well, related to that, I want to tie everything back together that we talked about and maybe even go back to the beginning of the conversation as people are returning to the office, we're settling into these new ways of working. How can we, I don't know if restore is the right word, but you know, build more trust between leaders and employees so that we're all kind of working together collaboratively as a team or a committee to get things done versus everybody off doing their own thing. Yeah. You know, trust is, trust is easily given, right? And, and it's hard to earn, but, but if you, if you're willing to give it, uh, you have some real opportunities there. Uh, I, I used to do a lot of employee engagement work, you know, and you've probably seen a lot of this inside organizations, you know, the, the surveys and the follow-ups and so on. And I had a leader who, who got pretty low scores on trust and her, her team really beat her up pretty hard on the survey. And she said, all right, I, I know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to take the team out for beer and pizza and, and bowling. I said, mm. that's, that's great, but understand they, they really don't want to be with you. <laughs> right. She said, no, 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 it'll be great. You know, and we'll really yeah. build trust and you'll take them out and have a good time. I said, no, you know, it, it may seem like doing, I mean, doing that wouldn't hurt, yeah. but it hurts because you're not doing all the other things that are so much easier, you know, 
you know, come out from your office once in a while, talk to people or virtually find reasons to connect with people. And, and I would say in a lot of cases, there's opportunities to recycle the time that you were using uh, when you were maybe traveling or when you were doing other things that were more office bound. You know, I used to do a lot of travel uh, and, you know, would be on a plane maybe, you know, 10, 20 hours a month. Mm-hmm. But, but now I have that time. So what could I do with that time? Maybe I could use it to, you know, run a, you know, a virtual, you know, check-in with people, you know, mm-hmm. and pull the team together and just, let's just, let's just talk to each other. Yeah. We experimented with this a little bit in my last organization. We did a, we did a book club, you know, <laughs> just for one meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we got people together to talk about their favorite summer reading list, right? Or got together and said, you know, share recipes. And it seems like it's, it seems like it's time not well spent. It's certainly not, you know, you're not working on company issues, but you're finding ways to connect to people and have some, have some break room conversation virtually. Uh, because the break room conversation really helps teams come together and, you know, learn people better, connect in better ways. Uh, and you can probably afford it if you think about just recycling some of that in-person time in new ways. It doesn't mean you have to do it every week or every month. It doesn't have to be a, a standing committee that you have for, you know, from now until the end of time. Just do a couple of things. You know, do a town hall that you haven't done before or, or you know, shoot a poll out there to your employees and ask some questions or put somebody in front of the camera who you think uh, other people would really benefit from, from learning about, you know, Uh, put your organization in touch with itself a little bit more. And I think when we do that, there are opportunities for us to create for our employees and for organizations, listening posts, you know, opportunities to, to chat, to collaborate in ways that just, we haven't, we haven't fully leveraged, I think. And coming out of the pandemic, I think we just haven't been as creative as we could be in some of those ways. Yeah, some great advice there. I, I like some of those tips that you shared. And it goes right back to the beginning of this conversation. We talked all about humanity, connection, authenticity, like go actually connect with people, whether it's in person or virtually, You know, show them who you are, share some of your thoughts and fears and everything that you're working on, get alignment on what we're doing together, you know, let them share their opinions and, you know, make more agile decisions, kind of tie everything together. Just a couple more questions for you, Rob. Are there any uh, big trends that you're following in kind of the talent development leadership world right now that you're excited about? You know, I am really excited about, you know, what we're seeing is this used to be just the domain of HR, right? Mm -hmm. Or talent management teams. What's really exciting to me is to see, you know, C-suite, top of the house, taking much more of an interest in these kinds of issues and on employee engagement and, you know, what is it that they can do to instill a sense of belonging and culture in the organizations. Uh, I think maybe the diversity, inclusiveness, and equity is really helping leaders identify the importance of that. But I think those are, I think those trends really do matter. I, I don't think they're particularly uh, new, but I think they're just getting much more life today. And so, yeah, I think the opportunity is there for leaders who choose to step into that as opposed to kind of pushing away from it, uh, leaning into the discomfort a little bit more and taking mm-hmm. advantage of it. I think it's there. It's right at our fingertips if we choose to do it. Yeah. And as a trend, yeah, it's a trend. Will a trend pass? Who knows? But like any trend, we usually learn from it and leverage it and get better. Uh, and it complements ourselves as leaders and organizations come forward. So I hope that's the case, you know, with what we're seeing now. 
That's cool. Yeah, I like that. Is there a book that you often recommend or has made a big impact for you when it comes to leadership or talent development, anything in that realm? You know, there, there are books that I read a long time ago that I really have loved. I mean, I remember like reading The First 90 Days from Michael Watkins way back when. And I remember thinking, gosh, that sense of legacy is just really important to me. I would say more recently, I, you know, I liked Angela Duckworth, Duckworth's Grit. I think grit <clears throat> has been really important uh, because it helps us be more resilient, right? And identify those things that help us push through. So grit, love that one. I recommend it a lot. Some of the stuff that Adam Grant has written has been really good. I like the give, you know, the give and take, uh, givers and takers concept that Adam plays with. I think is really great for us to think about as leaders. There are leaders who give, there are leaders who take, and the givers may not see the benefit of that right away, but they get the payoffs down the road. So yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in some of those books. Those are a couple that I really like. Yeah, great recommendations. All right, we'll tie it. We'll wrap things up here. Now, speaking of humanity, I hear your dog barking in the background now. I know, right? Yeah. It's like, always funny, like, oh, he has a dog. We could talk about yeah. that. Rob, for people listening, particularly in talent development, but leaders out there who want to become better leaders as well, what's one more piece of career advice that you would give? Yeah, it's, there's, <laughs> I would say the one piece of advice that I find I give to leaders all the time is just think about, sorry about that. There's leaders who sit kind of on the bus and the bus is driven by somebody else. And I think they do that in a bunch of different ways. I think as a leader, if there's a way for you to take the driver's seat, figure out what you do well, and then drive the bus. And that doesn't mean you have to do that for the whole organization, but do it for your part of the organization. Really find how to lead and then lead. You know, figure out what you do well and then push the, you know, push the accelerator pedal all the way to the ground on that. Uh, and you'll find that people will follow you. I think mm. if we're too hesitant, it doesn't play well for anybody. And yeah. People like to follow a leader who chooses to lead. So move from, you know, move from a rider on the bus to, to driving the bus. I think people follow that. Yeah, it can be scary to put yourself out there as a leader sometime. What if you lead people the wrong direction? But um, sure. sometimes we got to take that chance and have the confidence and, and people will follow oftentimes if you, you've got your head, you're on the right track. I was going to say, I don't know any leaders that, that have never failed. Yeah. I only know leaders who have failed. Right. And I, I think that's the lesson to be learned. hundred percent. Most of the successful people that we look up to and follow have not been that way their whole career. They've made lots of mistakes and they got back up and tried new things and learned from their mistakes and, and kept going. And, you know, with a growth mindset, uh, you mentioned earlier, a fixed mindset, I, I tried to do the same thing. And it sounds like uh, a lot of leaders could benefit from that. Uh, Rob, this has been fantastic for anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you or learn more about what you and, and Via Group are, are doing. Where's the best place for them to go? Uh, viapath.com. That's our website. And that's probably the best doorway in, but uh, you know, we're, we're out there on LinkedIn as well. So you'll see some of our articles and you'll see a lot of other areas where you can connect with us. Uh, it'd be great to do. All right. So make sure you go connect with Rob on LinkedIn. If you're not following me on LinkedIn, make sure you come follow me and all the content I'm sharing as well, as well as visit our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. And we'll have a summary and show notes there from this episode with Rob's. Rob, thank you again so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your experience and wisdom around leadership. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners did as well. My pleasure, Andy. Absolutely. Take care. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rob Kerr from Via Group about leadership in this post-COVID world. And maybe you had a couple key takeaways there. Maybe it was just one. Maybe it was five. We covered a few different subjects. I know it was interesting for me, and I think we had some alignment in kind of our philosophy on what makes great leadership in this new modern world. I think it's changed a lot. And uh, so I appreciated some of the things that Rob shared. By the way, we're having a lot of conversations about things like this 
How do we develop our leaders? How do we create better leaders? How do we shift the conversation and include more things like mindfulness and care and wellness, as well as connection and trust with our leaders inside the talent development think tank community that I run? You know, I started this community in June of 2020 after I hosted co-hosted the first talent development think tank conference in January 2020 with my good friend Bennett Phillips. It was a huge success. It was sold out. We had some great speakers there like Josh Burson and Liz Weissman and Michael Bungay-Stanier, who have all been on the podcast. Maybe you were there. Maybe you heard about it. Maybe you thought about it. And we were excited to do it again. And then, of course, everything was shut down by COVID. And I wanted to find a way to keep people in talent development connected when they weren't able to attend conferences anymore which is why I started the Talent Development Think Tank community, which is a membership community. It's kind of like a cool kids club. We are inclusive, though. Anybody can join. But, of course, we ask that you be kind and supportive and generous in helping others and really show up and ask great questions and support each other. And that is what our community is all about. Almost everybody in there works in talent development in some facet. We have a couple people from marketing who are interested in talent development. And it's really a fantastic community. And if you are looking for a place where you can connect with other people and learn about the latest trends going on in talent development, come join us. The website to join or find out more info is tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. And when you sign up, if you use code HOTSEAT, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, you will get 10% off for being a podcast listener. So make sure you use that code when you sign up. Also wanted to remind you this podcast is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. You know, when I left BTS, the uh, really cool Swedish consulting company that I joined back in 2010 and worked for seven years, I moved over to Advantage Performance Group as a consultant and I was a partner with Advantage for a couple of years and it was such a great experience because I got to learn about a lot of great solutions and offer so many great solutions, a variety of solutions to clients that I worked with. And one of the things I really loved about it is all the solutions there are experiential. There's no death by PowerPoint. There are no lecture series. Everything is experiential the way that we know people want to learn. And and Advantage did an amazing job of pivoting during the pandemic to all virtual solutions that are still very experiential and interactive. I have facilitated some of them. I've experienced some of them. And I just love all the stuff that they're doing over there. While I'm not there as a partner anymore, we are still great partners and friends. And Advantage has continued to sponsor this podcast. And I just want to thank them uh, for being involved. Again, if you want to check out some of the things that they do, as well as a lot of the free resources they have, and they have a lot of great free resources, their website is advantageperformance.com. All right. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you, the listener, whether you're new to this podcast or you've been listening for a long time. I greatly appreciate you tuning in. Always love connecting and hearing your feedback. So reach out if you have any, and I will see you for our next episode. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.